0: Paris attacks, terrorism, and the elections in France. That's what we're going to be talking about today on the Terrorist Therapist Show. Welcome. I'm Dr. Carol, a psychiatrist, and your terrorist therapist. I'm here to help you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. Well, there's a lot of uh, hot stuff happening in Paris. Some of the hot stuff is uh, the continuation of all the horrendous uh, terrorist attacks. But also, of course, what's the most current thing and most important thing that's happening is the election that's going to be happening in May, the runoff. Of course, there was already the preliminary election, and that narrowed it down to two candidates, Marine Le Pen and Emmanuel Macron. Two very, very different candidates, and we're going to be talking about that and how the terrorist attacks in France will affect voters as they uh, go to vote this May. There have been studies about that, the impact of terrorism and so on, and we're going to be talking about that. But first, let's talk about this latest attack on the police officer on the Champs-Élysées. Uh, that was by Karim Cherfi. Um He killed the police officer and he wounded several others and um this this attack, even though it was it didn't affect didn't kill or injure as many uh people in France as some of the other attacks in the last couple of years, still there was something um very provocative, something very painful about this attack, because it occurred on the Champs-Élysées. Now, uh, as you may have heard in previous podcasts, I talk about how I lived in Paris for almost three years, and during a time when there was actually the hint of what was to come, um, a growing dissatisfaction and alienation of immigrants uh, standing on street corners and so on, but um, not—I can't really say that there was a terrorist attack in the kind of way that there are today. So um, the fact that it was on the Champs Elysées, the pride of Paris, if not the pride of France, did really speak to the hearts of the French people. It's like this was an area that was supposed to be protected. In fact, what Champs-Elysees means is field of the gods or field of the blessed. And so you're not supposed to have a terrorist attack on the Champs-Elysees. I mean, you know, you're not supposed to have a terrorist attack anywhere in the world. But um, on this special spot, it's a spot where... If you haven't been there, you need to go. It's beautiful. It's amazing. Um, the people sit out in cafes. I spent in countless hours sitting in cafes, um, eating French food, shopping in the shops, just walking on the street, and feeling uh, elevated. Feeling um, it's it's a, a feeling like you, you know you're in the most or one of the most special places in the world. And so the last thing that you would expect to happen would be the kind of violence that occurs in a terror attack. So let's look at him, uh, the perpetrator of this attack, Karim Shafi. He um, was known to authorities. That was what the uh, media said after the attack. And, of course, as I have talked about, that is one of the most frustrating things. Because if they were known to authorities, why the hell were they still on the street? And why the hell were they allowed to perpetrate a terror attack? Now, he was known, this particular terrorist, was known to have a predisposition for violence, animosity towards authority. He had, and listen to this, He tried to kill police officers twice before. He also had a sense of alienation. He spent a significant time of his life in the French prison system. Duh. (laughs) That is what we are seeing more and more. I have talked about this in previous podcasts. I talked about it, for example, in regard to the um, Khalid Massoud, the British... Um, the terrorist of the Westminster Bridge attack and his lengthy history in prisons where he became radicalized. And I've also talked in previous podcasts that you may want to look up about um, how what we need to do to these jails and prisons to stop them from becoming hotbeds of radicalization. So here we have this latest man, latest terrorist, who indeed um, was radicalized in the French prison system, uh, where there is a group of Islamic terrorists who radicalize petty criminals, who originally, most of whom, start out without any particular religious beliefs, or at least not being radical Islamists. And yet... um, in in prison in jails and prisons and I have spent a significant amount of time not being incarcerated, but um as a as a forensic psychiatrist and expert witness, I've done a lot of uh, evaluations, psychiatric evaluations in these jails and prisons. And so um, I've seen how they work. you know it's intimidating it it's uh, even just being there for, the time that I do these evaluations, it's not a very pleasant p- place to be. It's all about intimidation by these authority figures who are the guards and the heads of the prison and the people who, um, frisk you, you know, to, before you go in to, uh, to make sure that you're even, you know, the visitors, even, <laughs> um, to make sure that you're not bringing in anything that, uh, could is not allowed for prisoners to have whether it's drugs or of course any kind of weapon or um even food you're not allowed to bring in anything so um because you know for example and there have been escapes where people have smuggled in food um that hid knives or or razors uh in the food that prisoners then used. So anyhow, it's a very incredibly intimidating and, and, uh, uncomfortable and, uh, place that is filled with hostility from these guards towards the prisoners. Uh, you know, the, the people who, who choose to work in these, in these jobs, uh, are people who like to have that power. Anyhow, it is not a surprise then that Um, inmates are very vulnerable to, uh, hating authority figures because that is what they do every day, sitting in their jail cell, being furious at the way that they're being treated in the jail. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, murderers and robbers and all that, uh, don't deserve to be in jail and they shouldn't be, uh, they shouldn't be, you know, treated to tea. But at the same time, um, it is just an atmosphere that makes them boil over with this hatred towards authority figures and particularly police and, and people who are figures like police, like the guards and so on. So then when we have some radical Islamists also as inmates, it is very easy for them to, um, to get these angry prisoners to find a focus and a purpose, which is to go out when they're let out to then um, perpetrate an act of terrorism in the name of Allah, you know, some kind of purpose to their life. And also it's important to understand who gets to be a prisoner in the first place. It's people who um, have had very troubled lives. Again, I've talked about this, like in the case of Massoud, the British terrorist um, creating the attack on the Westminster Bridge. But it's you can look at it with lots of... This, this really is the story of lots of terrorists who have been in this system because they have troubled childhoods. It all starts out in childhood and they have troubled childhoods and that makes them angry in the first place and um, want, wanting to be violent and they create a crime because of that. Then they're in the prison system and then they get radicalized. It really makes all the sense in the world. And there are lots of things that can be done to stop it. So I refer you to my, to my podcast where I talk about what can be done in these prison systems. But to move on, in the French prison system in particular, there have been examples of this, well-known examples of this. Uh, Mohammed Mera, he was the one, he was in the prison system, and in 2012, he murdered police officers and Jewish school children in Toulouse. You probably heard about that. Then there was Amadi Koulibaly, who killed a police trainee and then also stormed the kosher supermarket and killed four hostages. You remember that. And then the Charlie Hebdo attacker, Saïd Kouachi, um, he also came out of the prison system and was radicalized there. Um, All of these people were radicalized in the French prison system. Now, it's not just France where where this problem of radicalization in prisons occurs. There have also been examples of terrorists radicalized in the prison system in the United States in Belgium, in Canada, in Denmark, Germany, and in the United Kingdom. So this is a major hotbed that needs to be fixed. Um, Part of the problem, of course, is that, uh, you know, the the labels for things. um, People like CARE, the Council on American Islamic Relations, try to censor any mention of Islamic radicalization from American law enforcement and military training. And then, of course, we also had President Obama, who didn't want us to use the words radical Islamist. Um, Fortunately, of course, uh, President Trump, you know, has, has, (laughs) has allowed that language, has been calling a spade a spade. Um, And, you know, there's a, a great metaphor for this. If you take a warning label off a can that has poison in it, it doesn't mean that the poison inside the can has now become harmless because we're not calling it whatever kind of poison it is. Instead, it makes us more vulnerable, the people who are handling that can, more vulnerable to what's in it because they are not more careful about it and are not doing anything to try to prevent um, problems from it. So now, how does this uh, affect elections? Well, we've had the uh, first portion of the French, French elections, and there were the candidates were narrowed down to the two who had the highest number of votes, and that um, was Marine Le Pen, Le Pen. Who is on the far right, um, and Emmanuel Macron, who is considered a centrist. Now, why does um, how do elections become affected by terror attacks? Well, that too is pretty um, pretty intuitive. I mean, you know, it's pretty it makes common sense that um, the more ter- people are afraid of terrorism. Uh, or being attacked, the more they are going to vote for a candidate who is the strongest against terrorism. Now, we have seen that in our own country, in America. I shouldn't say our own country. I know this t- this podcast is being listened to all over the world. So I'll just say in America, we saw that happen. And in fact, I uh, talked about that as the terrorist therapist, as someone who uh, tries to warn people that terrorism is the biggest danger to America. Um, I, that was m- 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 my biggest reason, my strongest reason for uh, supporting Trump. Because, because I think so much of America is in denial, was in denial at the time of the election. I mean, obviously enough weren't t- to vote for Trump, you know, who did vote for Trump. But, um, but America has to wake up and be in less denial about how, uh, how we still are in grave danger of terrorism. 9-11 can happen again. And in the meantime, there have been many 9-11s, not so, not so many. Orlando, for example, or San Bernardino or the Boston Marathon. It's not really about the number of people who were killed or injured. So, you know, of course, there are lots of other problems facing America, facing other countries. Um, for example, the the economy, that's, that's a problem in America and that's a problem in France. And there are all kinds of problems, but terrorism, being attacked, being overrun by terrorists really is the number one problem. So in France, um, the fact that um, there has been... Um, these terrorist attacks over the last couple of years, which, you know, uh, of course, the attacks in Paris, those were the tremendous, the biggest ones, and then the, the truck attack in Nice, and then l- smaller attacks in smaller cities, which still have um, made headlines, and then, of course, the most recent one that I was just talking about on the Champs-Elysees. So all of these things are in the conscious and unconscious minds of French voters. So, Marine Le Pen, the leader of the, uh, of, she, well, representing the far right um, and speaking out, you know, shamelessly, well, I don't know, having no qualms about speaking out about what she wants to do to terrorists. And, um, you know, as far as making the borders safer and um, all kinds of things, and, in some studies, there has, it has been shown that terrorist attacks can shift support to right-wing parties by one or two percentage points. Now, that was in uh, other countries. And, um, but what it does, so it's not clear how many points, you know, we can't be specific as to how many points it's going to shift to the right-wing parties. But we do know, I mean, it's really it totally makes sense, that when people are most afraid of terrorism or very afraid of terrorism, they're going to choose somebody, uh, vote for somebody who seems to take the strongest stand on terrorism. So it also, terrorist attacks, studies have found that terrorist attacks also create increased polarization. So... Um, uh, that can that can have that has sort of a, a, a different effect. So, in other words, um, for Marine Le, Le Pen, for example, yes, she'll get the votes of the people who are very afraid of terrorist attacks, but will she be able to sway some of the other voters on the other extreme? And and that could be more difficult because of these terrorist attacks. Um, so. Um it's particularly in, in in these in these studies that have been done, they've looked at particularly terrorist attacks that have occurred in the three months before an election, and that has had the most effect. But again, in, in France, it's going to be um the, the, the Champs-Elysées attack on this increasing background over the last two years, the heightened security that France is still under. Um so it's not just the Champs-Elysées. There are 10 million voters in Paris. There are 56 million voters outside of Paris in France. Um, will the voters living outside of Paris be less afraid of terrorism? Probably so, except for the ones in Nice and the ones in the other smaller cities that had smaller attacks. Um, there also have been other studies that show a 2 to 6 percent increase in voter share in for, for right-wing uh, candidates based on when there have been terror attacks recently. So, and some of these had to do with, it wasn't necessarily just the people living in the city or the area where there was the attack, but um, there were people even who were outside of that immediate place, but who knew that they could be attacked who felt also similarly insecure about whether they will be protected by terrorism. So the question is, will the people in France, you know, see this as just a Paris thing or um, will they realize, especially since the whole country is on high alert, will they realize that this could happen anywhere in France? Um, Another way that terrorism affects voter Choice is um, by how people view themselves and the rest of society. In other words, on their identity. Um, when they, it, in, in terror attacks makes people feel like they need to huddle with people who are like them. Um, and be be afraid, be very afraid of people who are unlike them who are causing these attacks. Now, of course, in France, like in America, it's not just uh, immigrants. It's not just people who come from outside the country. It's homegrown terrorists. And, of course, you know, a lot of these homegrown terrorists are people who, are, who have become inmates and who have become radicalized in prisons, as I was talking about. So, um... People, in general, when there's the more terrorist attacks there are, the more people feel threatened and vulnerable and the more they look towards a very strong uh, politician to become their leader. And, um, you know, it it really um, makes people, it changes all of society, not just in terms of elections, but also in terms of who people huddle with and how much they huddle. So in France, we've so far seen it's been this the election, the um, the primary election has shocked a lot of people in France because um, it sh- showed the collapse of the traditional parties, the parties that you know generally produce the presidents of France, and. Um, so it's shaken up the whole country and shaken up the whole uh, political system. And I'm not endorsing one candidate or another. I'm merely describing, I want to make that clear. Um, you know, there. Are, although Marine Le Pen does actually seem to be the one who would protect France the most from terrorists, um, she does have some, you know... <sighs> it's not clear that um, her, the other parts of her platform are the best for France. Now, Emmanuel Macron, who has more of a background in finance, um, uh, you know, speaks to the people in France who are are in denial about terrorism and um, are more concerned about their wallets. and neither one of the candidates, actually, have been talking very much about, about what they're going to do to prevent the radicalization of French citizens. Um, but, you know, but Marine Le Pen talks about, um, let's see, some of her, she's talking about the immediate expulsion of foreigners on the Fiche S list. That's the, um, the list of those who have, um, who have been, you know, under suspicion um, already for their links to radical Islamist terrorism. And um, she has other, uh, she, well, she's, she's also calling for, this is a bit extreme, she's calling for dual national terrorist suspects to have their French citizens stripped now, it's not clear what uh, terror suspects, I mean, if they're, presumably, if there was um, a a good reason, if they were far along in their being a suspect, in their plans for an attack and so on, yes, I think that wouldn't be a bad idea. Now, Emmanuel Macron has said that he would have 10,000 more police and gendarmes on the streets Of France over the next five years and set up a task force against Islamic State, you know, these people with task force. I mean, that's the difference. That's really the difference. On the one hand, we have Marine Le Pen, whose ideas for protecting the French people from terrorism are a little extreme. But on the other hand, we have Macron, who's going to be setting off, a t- setting up a task force to study the problem. I mean, seriously, <laughs> you know, how much more do we need? I mean, yes, you know, of course, it's good to keep studying and to keep, especially in regard to the prisons and all of that. That's all great. But you need to, I mean, these attacks are happening fast and furious. So you can't just set up a task force to study the problem. You have to take action. Now, the idea of putting 10,000 more police and gendarmes on the streets of Paris, I got to tell you, as someone who lived uh, in Paris, that, you know, that makes me sick that we, that our world has come to this. But, um, yes, you know, I guess that would be helpful to some degree, but it doesn't really get at the root of the problem. The root of the problem is getting rid of the people in the country who um, are likely to commit terrorist attacks and to set up things in prisons to um, to, to stop um, the radicalization. Well, why don't I go now to... Um, to a uh, letter uh, that I received, an an email actually, um, from Charles in Seattle, Washington. Hey terrorist therapist, this is too much already. The world is going nuts. Every time there is an election, whether here in the US or in Europe, people get more agitated, which means I get more agitated. All this fighting is just too much, and I worry about the world I'm leaving for my kids. Got any suggestions? Well, um, I actually am going to um, give you some suggestions. I'm going to try to give some positive aspects um, to what people can do, uh, not just talk about the doom and gloom of terrorism. So I'll close with something. So these are some um, uh, what I, from the chapter called Psychological Survival Skills, gear and maps that are in my first terrorism book, uh, Coping with Terrorism Dreams Interrupted. And they, it's, there are like 365 uh, things that you can do. Uh, so, you know, even the, so you, surely I'm going to just read a few, but surely you can find um, some of them that, that talk to you. So one of them is balance stops you from stumbling. Each day is groundhog day. You're caught in a perpetual balancing act between bravado and fear, denial and panic. One moment you're pretending that your world hasn't changed, and the next you're wallowing in self-pity. Strive for balance and extend your hand to help someone else who has lost his footing. Here's another one. Balloons boost your spirits. Most people stop playing with balloons when they grow up although deep inside a part of us still yearns for them. Children like Pascal in the hauntingly poignant French classic film Le Ballon Rouge, the red balloon, wholeheartedly befriend balloons. Perhaps grown-ups shun balloons not because they're intrinsically only for kids, but because we no longer want to risk our heart on something we're bound to lose. Cherish the child in you, befriend a balloon, a a red balloon. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna just give you those two for today. Um, I love the one. <laughs> I love the one that has to do with France. Um, that's what we need to do. The French have to uh, start carrying remind reminding themselves about this um, uh, this story, the Ballon Rouge, and uh, start carrying balloons and cheering each other up. I think that would be a great idea. Well, we've come to the end of the terrorist therapist show. Um I want to thank you for listening. I want to tell you how you can please contact me, send me questions, send me comments, tell me what you'd like me to talk about. Um, you can go to my website, which is www.terroristtherapist.com and, or and/or you can go to my Facebook page. If you just put in on Facebook the Terrorist Therapist, you will come to my page. And um, my um, one thing that is close to being available to help you is my second book on terrorism, which is called Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. We are getting very close to the release date. So thank you again. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. and Thank you for listening to the Terrorist Therapist Show.